This is on. All right, good morning. So I'm going to kind of go off cuff here for a second, but how many of us had a great week this week? Raise your hand if you had a, just an absolutely great week. Okay, how many of you had a terrible week? Okay, so we didn't have any perfect weeks, no terrible weeks. Everybody's kind of, I'm going to assume, somewhere in between, right? So I'll be honest, and, and I didn't plan on saying this until this morning. Um, this, is, this is like the sermon that almost didn't happen. I, there, was a, there was a point in my week, it was about Thursday night, about 8 o'clock, and I had my phone out and I had a text message started to Tim, and I, I was saying, I can't do it. I just, my week's been awful. It's, it's, I've had obstacles, I've had stress, I've had everything going on that's just kept me away from what I was supposed to be doing. I had this text message started, and, and then I, I stopped, and I, then I went to call him, and I stopped again, and, <laughs> and I ended up, obviously ended up not sending it, not calling him, but, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to, to say, oh, great, you did such a good job of actually coming through with your sermon, but my week wasn't any different than all of your weeks, right? And, and I saw that last week. And, and so last week we, we stopped after our sermon and, and we had a time together where we came together just as a family. It wasn't, it wasn't somebody up here preaching and everybody listening. It wasn't somebody up here giving a, a, a sermon and, and everybody just, you know, ears open listening. It was, it was a family coming together and saying, Hey, this is going on in my life. Can you pray for me? This is going on in my life. Can you pray for me? You know, this is going on in my family. Can you pray? I need prayer. And so where I'm going with this is, is you know, I had, I had a couple people that, that did text me this week and say, I'm praying for you. And that's so encouraging when someone texts you and says, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. And so my encouragement to all of us is we need to be the ones sending those text messages, not just receiving them, right? So, so we need to be the ones that are, that are sending the text messages out saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for your situation. I'm, I'm, I'm just praying that you have a good week. I'm praying that you draw closer to God. I'm praying for you because you're a brother or you're a sister in Christ. We're a family. And so... That's my encouragement this morning before, I, I haven't even started my sermon, I don't even, I haven't even pulled the notes out, but that's my encouragement to start out is, is just pray for each other. Because if I, if I didn't have people praying for me, I wouldn't be up here this morning. If I didn't have people praying for me my entire life, I wouldn't be here today, right here doing this. But God knew that was going to happen. And God put those people in my life to pray for me, and so God's putting you in someone's life to pray for them. You know, we've got We've got everybody across the spectrum in this church. We've got everybody from the youngest kid back in the back that, that is still bottle-fed and relies on, on his parents for everything to, to the people who have, who have ran this race well and, and that are leading this church as elders of this church. And, and we love everything in between. We've got families that are empty nesters, Right? Some have been empty nesters. Some are new empty nesters. We've got families that have children that are young. We've got families that have children that are in, that are in school. I promise you, 
I think the hardest stage is the one where you've got the preteen teenage girls. But maybe that's just because I've got a bunch of them in my house. But what I'm, it's none of it's just a cakewalk. And that's why, that's why Christ instituted the church is so that we could come together and, and encourage and help and pray for one another. So if I see one of you today with your eyes closed and your head down, I'm going to assume that you're praying and that's okay. So this morning's sermon, be imitators of God. That's where we're at this morning. Got to grab my water, sorry. So be imitators of God. So the last, um, gosh, the last several months, we've been in the book of Ephesians, really hanging out in chapter 4. Um, so the end of January, uh, Tim kind of kicked us off, and we had studied Ephesians last year. We'd gone through um, the first couple chapters of Ephesians, and then we really went back into chapter 4, Today we're starting chapter 5, and I want to give a little bit of a recap to kind of summarize what, um, what Tim had gone through just a few weeks ago. So chapter 1 in the book of Ephesians is about God. It's about God's greatness, it's about God's glory, and it's about God's plan for us as his people, as believers in him. Chapter 2 is about salvation that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And only are we saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 is about the blessing and majesty of the gospel message. It's about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the majesty and the blessing of what he did in that gospel message that he has for us. Chapter 4 is about unity of the body of believers through Christ. Chapter four is about us, how we should get along because we are in the family of God. It's about unity amongst us. And then today we begin chapter five. In chapter five, and I, I don't wanna give too much of a spoiler because we're just starting in verses one and two today, but chapter five is about how we walk in love with one another. So chapter four is about the unity of us, but then how we walk in love with one another. It's, it's about how we should act as Christians. It's about how we should get along as husbands and wives, children and parents, employer, employees. And then the, the book of Ephesians, Paul ends it um, focusing on the, the armor of God, how to, how to put on and equip ourselves with the armor of God to go out into the world and do the things that we're supposed to do, like evangelism, and loving one another, and encouraging one another, and praying for one another. And so, and, and we've got a really cool series set up going into the next couple months of the end of this book of Ephesians, and, and the spiritual warfare that we go through, and the, the armor of God, and how that plays into our lives. And so, I'm really excited, and we just sat down this week and looked at the at the plan for the next couple months. And, and I'm so excited because we're gonna have we're gonna have some college kids coming back from school. We're gonna, you know, summertime a lot of times is, is a time when when we get together and, and a lot of times we we grow in, in numbers, but it's my prayer that we grow in our relationship not only with one another, but we grow in our relationship with Christ and that'll help us grow with one another. So but today I don't want to get too far ahead. So we're gonna look at the first two verses of, of Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just to refresh, and David did just a minute ago, uh, starting uh, chapter 5, verses 1. Therefore, 
Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you first might ask, what does it mean to be an imitator? What does it mean to be an imitator? What? I don't know what that means. Okay, well, the word, and I like doing this, uh, going back to the root of it, and, and David's, we're on the same page there. We like to go back and see what the root of a word is. So the root of imitator is, and I'm, I'm going to say this wrong, imito. It comes from Latin. It's a Latin word meaning to copy or to mimic. So you're, you're copying or you're mimicking something, right? So uh, as I was reading and preparing and praying through this week, um, you know, the, the imitation, Lincoln, he cracks me up. So, so Lincoln's, he's almost four. And if, if you've ever had young children that are that age, and you remember back to the young children when they're that age, they do everything you do. Good or bad, doesn't matter. They do everything you do. And, and I, I, I went for a run this week, and I, I probably ran a little bit further than what I should have, and, and my knee was hurting, and so I get home, and I'm, I'm putting ice on my knee, and I grab two bags of corn out of the freezer, perfect for ice in the knee, and I throw them on my knees, and Lincoln comes in. He says, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm ice on my knee, buddy. Dad's knee hurts. He ran too far, and he said, well, my knee hurts too. I played too hard today. I need to ice my knee. So he grabs one of the bags of corn and lays down beside me and slaps it on his knee. That's imitation. He's mimicking and copying what I'm doing. I don't have to tell him to do that. He just wants to do it. Sometimes we need to go back to being like little children. Right? We need to imitate God the same way that, that those young kids imitate us as parents. The difference being that we're not the perfect example to imitate. God is. And so the English, the English definition of imitation is the, the action of using someone or something as a model. And we've all heard the saying, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Someone imitating you or trying to be like you is flattering, right? We, we that's, oh yeah, they're trying to be like me. That's, that's cool, right? How do you think God feels because he's called us to imitate him? So we should. So in this first verse, Paul is telling us to literally imitate God, to strive to be like God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there for just a second, and we're going to cover two what I call big churchy words, okay? Big churchy words. I don't ever recommend using big churchy words when you're talking to a non-believer, but but it's my opinion that if you're a, if you're a believer and you're saved and, and you're part of a church family, you need to know these words. You need to know what they mean. Okay? So, so they need to be used. Salvation and, and sanctification. Okay? Everybody say them with me. Salvation and sanctification. Two big, kind of scary churchy words. But they're, they're really easy to understand. They're really simple. Salvation. Salvation is that single defining moment, and it happens for every believer. It's that single defining moment. It's our deliverance from sin and death, okay? So salvation is a, is a, is a, a point, right, in the timeline of your life. 
if, if it's spread out across this room, then the timeline of your life, your salvation can be pinpointed. Stick a tack in it, right? That is my point of salvation right there, okay? It's that point that you're delivered from sin and death. Our salvation is the moment that we accept Jesus and that we're saved, okay? That's it. That's your salvation. Ephesians 2, and I'm going to flip back. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read this to refresh our memory. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Okay, that is salvation. It's that single moment that you put off the old, accept Christ into your heart, and you put on the new. Okay, that's salvation. It's my prayer that every person in this room has had that moment of salvation, that you do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. That's literally the beginning. That's the beginning point. You get saved. Your baptism is your outward show to the world saying, I'm a believer in Christ. And that's where it starts. That's where the fun starts. Okay? That's not the end game. That's the beginning. The second part of this is sanctification. Sanctification literally means it's the act of making or the action of making something holy. Okay? The action of making something holy. So after we have salvation, after we accept Jesus, after we're saved, we have that, that tack on the wall, that pinpointed moment, then comes the sanctification. Sanctification is not a one-time hit. It is a lifelong process. Okay. Now it's 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 funny because has anybody ever watched stock market? Okay, you watch stock market and and I gotta do this the right way. Everybody, you want to see your stock start here and g just grow. You just want to see a straight line at a at an angle, and you'd rather see that angle here going this way and not so much here going this way, right? You want it. You just want a straight line and angle. But what's that actually look like when you, when you zoom in? It looks like this. It's, it's just a bouncing line, right? looks like a heart rate on a heart rate monitor. It's just a bouncing line. But it bounces, and it, and it eventually bounces up. Okay? That should be sanctification for every believer. When we're saved, we're an infant in our knowledge, in our, in, in our relationship with God and with Jesus. And as we become sanctified, as we become holy, as we imitate God, our sanctification, our holiness increases as we become closer to God. But it doesn't look like a straight line. And that's where a lot of people fall, right? That's where it's easy because you get saved, you accept Jesus, you get baptized, and then the next week happens and you have a, you have a crappy week, right? You have a week that a lot of us had last week. I call it a normal week now. And, and they say, life was so much easier before I accepted this Jesus guy. I'm done with him. Because they started to go up and then they hit a valley and they quit. That's why we need the church. Because 
that valley jumps back up. And a lot of times when you, jump, when you, when you bounce down, it creates a springboard effect. A, a valley gets you closer to God because you bounce. The believers come around you and they pray for you and they, they help you and they encourage, they encourage you. And your sanctification, your, your relationship, your holiness to God grows. So your, your sanctification does not look like a straight line. It's a bouncing line. But as long as you're bouncing upward, you're okay, I promise you. Without salvation, without that moment of salvation, we cannot start the process of sanctification. You can't expect an unsaved person to act saved, period. Without that moment of salvation, there is no period of sanctification. There's no life of growing closer to God. It cannot happen. Ephesians 2, I'm going to flip back, Ephesians 2.10. Says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is sanctification. Christ created, God created good works, and we should do those good works. That is the fruit of your spirit as a Christian. That is your sanctification. You are, you are always striving to get closer, to know God better, and to imitate him through our day-to-day walk. It's not easy. It's not going to be all unicorns and rainbows. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be times when you want to throw your hands up and say, I can't do it. But you've got to have faith and you've got to press on because that's God's will for his people. That's what it says. That's, we're created, we're his workmanship. We're created for his works. We have to walk in them. Our sanctification is our process of becoming more holy, of of becoming like our Father, of doing those things that God wants us to do. Okay. Salvation and sanctification. We got it, right? We're on the same page. We got to have salvation, and then we have a lifelong process of sanctification. But you're going to say, what exactly, okay, tie it back around, what exactly does that have to do with imitation? Being an imitator of God is the process of sanctification, period. That's it. Imitating God, following God, doing what God says, doing what God does is the process of sanctification. That's how we become more holy. If you're going to write anything down today, write this down. Get your pens, write this down. The Christian life has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating our Lord. I'm going to say it again. The Christian life has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating our Lord. 
That's what we're created to do. We are created to honor our Father. We are created to do His will, to please Him, to glorify Him. Our lives should be a living sacrifice to our Heavenly Father. The Christian life has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating our Lord. That's the very purpose of sanctification, growing in the likeness of our Lord. Matthew 5.48 tells us, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We must be an imitator of God. We must strive to be like Him. And I know you're thinking, gosh, He's really pounding this point home. Yeah, it needs pounded home. We're an Im- we should be an imitator of God. That's what we're placed here for. That's what we're created for. We have to strive to be like God. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not God. I'm not perfect. You just told me that, that I'm dead in sin. You're exactly right. I, we all are. We can't be God. We're not God. God is completely set apart from, from his creation. If you were to take everything that man knows and everything that, that, that we can comprehend and fathom and you put it in a box, okay? And you put it in a box. And, and people who try to understand God, they, they try to put him in a box, right? So we're here in this box, okay? You know where God's at? He's not in the box, okay? God's not there. God is everywhere around that box. God is set apart from us, and, and I'll be honest, I, if God was in this box, I don't want to worship that God. Okay, I don't want to worship the, the God. That's idols. That, those, those are things that become idols in our lives. If we put something in a box and it can stay in that box, I don't want to worship it. It's not worth it. That thing cannot give me eternal life. God can. God is outside that box. But God knows everything about that box we're in. Intimately. God's perfect and we're far from it. That that might seem discouraging, but I promise you it's not. Okay, that cannot be discouraging because of verse 2. Verse 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because God is holy and we're not, verse 2 is amazing. Because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The Lord is the supreme example of self-sacrificing love for lost sinners. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says this. But God shows his, lust, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God sent his son, Jesus, to suffer and die, placing all of human sin on Jesus' shoulders on that cross. We just, we just celebrated Easter three, what, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. We're not God. We cannot save ourselves. In the moment we can accept that and admit that we need a Savior, that's our salvation point. Right? When we realize, we come to the realization that I can't save myself. I can't do this on my own. I'm not good enough to get myself into heaven. I need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. The moment you accept him and you understand that is that defining salvation moment in your life. That's the blessing and the mystery of the gospel that Paul wrote about back in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. It's because of this, God's love for us, shown through Christ's death and resurrection, that we must be imitators of God as his beloved children. It says it right there. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We need to go back to being that little kid that just does everything that his, that his father does. We need to go back to doing everything that our father does and, and be who our father is. Strive to be like him. Jesus' work on the cross laid out with open arms God's plan of salvation for our lives as his beloved children. Salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So that we are, are able to become his children and be co-heirs, co-inheritors with Christ in the, in the gift of eternal life in heaven with our Father the one who we are trying to imitate. It's the calling of our lives to strive to be more like him, to be imitators of God as his beloved children. And so I, I want to leave with five, five practical things today to be imitators of God. This is, this is not an, a fully inclusive or fully exhaustive list, right? This, this isn't everything. This is just five things that, that stuck out to me this week that are biblical. Five things that stuck out to me this week of ways that we can imitate God, okay? So if you've got your pens and, and you've got your notes, jot these down. Five things. The first one's actually, it's two parts, Matthew 22, verses 36 and 39. Jesus is asked, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? 
And this is Jesus' reply. A teacher, what's the greatest commandment in law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so my first practical thing, it's, it's 1A and 1B, is love God. 1A is love God. Love God, and if we love God, we choose to imitate God. 1B is love others. These, these two go hand in hand. We can't love God and not love others because God loves everybody. They have to go hand in hand. We have to love God. We have to love our neighbor. It's the, the first and greatest commandment and, and the second just like it. Love God, love others. Number two, pray. Pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will for us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Pray persistently and pray regularly. And I'll be the first one to say, I'm, it's tough. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, see, pray without ceasing doesn't mean just to, to mumble prayers all day long, but you can. It means to pray consistently and to pray regularly, whether that's setting aside a, a, a prayer time every day at a, at a certain time, setting an alarm on your phone to pray at, at 6 a.m., 6 p.m., promise you I'll never have the alarm to, to pray at 6 a.m. I'm not a morning person. Pray regularly. Set the alarm. Set the reminder. Put, put the app on your phone. Put the Bible app on your phone. It's easy to do that, right? I love reading from a, from a physical Bible. That's my preferred method. I love it. I have, I have Bibles on my nightstand. I have Bible on my, on my kitchen counter. I have a Bible in my office. In too many days, I walk right past them and don't pick them up. It's my confession for this morning. I do. It's too easy not to. But if I set that alarm, I can put the Bible app on my phone and, and I can set that alarm and I can read it. The Bible app has an alarm inside of it, I promise you. I've, I've, I know how to use it. If you need help with it, I'll set it up after, after the sermon. Pray regularly. Pray persistently. Pray for each other. Pray for the, for the family. Pray for these people. I need prayer. Gosh, I need prayer. Guys, my family needs prayer. I'll be honest. I didn't say it last week because I was stuck behind here trying to figure out what I'm doing on Zoom. Pray for that. <laughs> but I need prayer. My family needs prayer. The devil's attacking me right now. I've had a week that the devil's just been at me. I promise you. And I know every one of you have too. We need prayer. Every one of us. There's not one of us in this room that doesn't need prayer today. Pray. Third, and this, this, the prayer verse jumps into the third, and the third is to be joyful. Be joyful. Now, 
I didn't say be happy. I said be joyful. Happiness and joy are different. Philippians 4.4 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The joy of the Lord you will know and experience when you have salvation and when you are in the process of imitating God in a life of sanctification. Be joyful. You can have a bad day and be joyful. You can have a bad week and be joyful. You don't have to be happy. You can be in a bad mood and still be joyful. Be joyful because we are living this life for a greater gift, for an eternal life with God. That's why we can be joyful. Fourth, read the word. Read the word. So along with praying, along with loving God, loving others, praying, and I hit on this a little bit with prayer, read God's word. Set time every day to pray. Set time every day to read the word. We're going to touch later on this summer on the, the armor of God. And, and the armor of God, and this is my quick comment, every piece of the armor of God is a defensive piece. Okay, a helmet, a breastplate, shoes, it, it, they're all defensive pieces. There's one offensive piece. The one offensive piece is the sword. The sword is the word of God. That's the one offensive piece we have to fight off the devil and his schemes. One of my favorite, favorite verses, 2 Timothy 3.16, says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says right there, in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that Scripture is first breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and that the man of God may be, it doesn't say completely equipped, it says complete, comma, equipped. The man of God, if you read the word, if you know the word, God will make you complete. He will make you equipped for every good work. Read the word. And then lastly, fifth, is fellowship. Fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God called us into fellowship through his son, with one another. God called us to be together. God called us to do all of these things together. We need each other. God called us to be there for each other, to pray with each other, to encourage each other, to love and support each other. Again, th this is not 
This is not fully inclusive, fully exhaustive. It's not everything you can do. There's so many more things you can do. And you can find them in here. These are just five simple things that we can do. We can love God. We can love others. We can pray. We can be joyful. We can read the word. We can fellowship. And if we start doing those things, we're going to imitate God. We will become imitators of God, and that's what God's called us to do. That's what we were created for. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together as a family of believers through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we just, I, I, my prayer for every believer here, God, is that they know you intimately. God, I pray for every person here, every person that's not here. I pray for this, this family of believers. I pray for their families. I pray for their relationship with you to grow, to encourage them, to love them, to be with them, God, to be with us. God, we thank you so much for sending your son. Without you, without him, God, we're nothing. Please help us to live lives that are worthy of our calling. Help us to live lives that you want us to live by glorifying and lifting you up in all things that we do. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.